Welcome to the One M Strong Podcast. I am Marvin Harris, your host. One M Strong is dedicated to building stronger small businesses. We talk with entrepreneurs and the people who support the small businesses behind the business to learn how to build and grow sustainable businesses. On today's One M Strong Podcast, we have Christina Podner, digital policy expert and author of the book, The Power of Digital Policy. She's going to talk to us today about maximizing opportunity and avoiding risk with digital policy programs. Welcome to the One I'm Strong podcast, Christina. Thanks, Marvin. It's so great to be with you and your listeners. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm, I'm excited to have you. I think the time is perfect for this, especially with everybody going through a transition as far as uh, what they need to do digitally. They need to think about the opportunity and risk as far as what they're doing, how they're revising their business models. And so compliance around that may be the differentiator for them in the future. I think more people will be concerned with uh, how you, what you do with their data, how you manage it, and also if you're, you're protecting it. So, Spot on, spot on. You know, it's interesting because uh, as a small business myself, I really understand that every dollar that you're going to put towards something, whether it's advertising or compliance, is a dollar you don't put into your own pocket or into inventory to sell more, et cetera. And so I think small businesses really need to carefully weigh the opportunities and the risks in the digital space and decide not just where they're going to put their dollar, but where they're going to spend the next hour of their time. Um, you know, you're trying to keep the lights on, you're trying to run your business. And when somebody says compliance or throws out terms like GDPR, if you have a presence in the EU, it's kind of like, wow, I don't want to think about that because I'm just trying to keep my business afloat, especially in these crazy times that we're finding ourselves in. But I think it's good to know and be aware of what environment you're operating in to recognize what could come back to bite you and literally just take a look at it and say, is this something that I think is a big enough risk that's going to get me? And if so, let's address it. Or conversely, you know, doing something like you just mentioned, building trust with your end user. If you do that by showing or demonstrating, for example, how you treat others' data, that can be a competitive advantage and not just a competitive advantage in a small business context, but really set you apart against large businesses. And I think that's really important because I've worked over the years with small businesses who have gotten contracts because they can actually prove to big businesses that they're compliant with certain things. And so I see this as a great time to open up the door to new opportunities and almost, you know, kind of not close the door on risk, but make sure that, you know, it's not as open of a door as your opportunities are, that the opportunities really outweigh the risks. That's a good point. Um, Something that I found interesting, there's a small business organization that does some study around compliance. And so they said the average small business spends $83,000 in the first year to become compliant. You know, they are obviously combining, you know, sunk costs and also the physical costs. And that goes across federal, state and local regulations. And then on an ongoing basis, they spend $12,000 a year. So I think what businesses need to think about is not that if they have to do it, but they have to do it. And I look at compliance on in three buckets, whether it's digital or any other compliance, which is you have pass through compliance. And that is compliance. Like if I do B2B, like I am a vendor for Target, 
but they're going to trickle down their digital policies to me if I want to do business with them. So if you want to, mm -hmm. if you want to be a small business that works with these big companies, there's a trickle down. And like we talked about off air, you have to be able to prove it, right? It has to be uh, defensible for lack of a better word, right? And that'll set you apart maybe from the other businesses that are attempting to become vendors for that big business. And then you have regulatory compliance, which we all know, you know, there's a state, federal, local regulatory body that mandates this or some organization. And then you have, like you talked about GDPR and California has its own regulations and different places. Uh, and then I call it customer compliance. It's not written, but it's an expectation of what you'll do to protect them around. But that's going to determine if they transact or commerce with you. And that, exactly. right? And so I think small business owners need to stop lumping compliance in this one bucket and look at it as in the different lanes of what they need to do to be for the the compliance entity or the end user of that compliance information and then let that guide how they make decisions on what the priorities like the regulatory you can't get around right but the other two need to be thought about in a holistic lens as how, with your business model and how it can be a competitive differentiator for you as you try to grow and scale your business so Exactly. That, that's spot on. And I think uh, one of the things that I would add to your list of the type of compliance also is the employee view of, mm. of your organization and compliance. I worked with a small company earlier this year that had a data breach. Mm. And a lot of the, it's interesting because the company itself has employees and they work with contractors, right? 1099 basis, which a lot of small businesses do. Yeah. And this very unfortunate thing happened. You know, there was a data breach and Honestly, it was really great to see how forgiving and how tolerant the employees and the vendor partners were. But it came from the perspective of they had full transparency into what happened. The business was doing the right thing. Um, everybody was sort of, you know, just being very vocal around, you know, what happened, why it happened, what's being done to change that. Um, what we know, what we don't know. And I think that that builds goodwill. And I think that people need to remember that when you have your small business, mm -hmm. it's about that trust and that goodwill, whether it's with prospects or with customers or employees, because you're right. I think that there's a compliance level there where if you have that goodwill and you build that trust, people will continue to you know, be on your side, even if something as bad as a data breach happens, they're still willing to work with you. And so that's the kind of stuff that, happens on Main Street that mm -hmm. I believe an Amazon doesn't have necessarily, right? And this is a special sauce, if you will, that small businesses can take advantage of. I want to hit on something you said. You talked about transparency. I think there's, right now, more than ever, trust will be your biggest asset. It's going to be linked to your brand. And so there's, there's tons of studies that show the more some a customer trusts you, the more loyalty you have. So if you were to give a couple quick tips on how digital policy can not only create opportunity, but avoid um, risk for a small business, what would you say the top three things they need to be focused on as we move into this new, this future of commerce where we're, we're commercing more online than ever before? You know, my top three that I always go to small businesses with are mm -hmm. security, okay. privacy, and accessibility. 
Okay. So security wise, I want to make sure that every small business out there is doing their best to protect the data that they've collected from individuals and to protect their own data. Okay. Hmm. So what this means is, you know, if you're going to have your own systems, meaning that you're hosting them, you're managing your, them yourself, make sure that you're doing things like patching any kind of databases. A lot of companies, small businesses especially, are using WordPress. WordPress is notorious as a website content publishing tool mm -hmm. um, for the need for constant patching. So be aware of that. If you can't do that, if you can't patch, if you can't keep the top of the basic security pieces, go the hosting route. There's a lot, a lot of cloud solutions out there that make you know security a cinch and they don't have to cost a ton of money. Okay? Mm -hmm. So you might actually want to outsource security, but make security, just like you make physical security a priority, make your digital online security a priority too. It's critical. That's number one. Number two okay. is privacy. Okay. Very important. If you're going to get people to trust you, that you're very transparent around what information you're collecting and why you're collecting it. You know, I'll tell you something like I have a local business that I deal with. And the first time I went in, they wanted to get my email address. They wanted to get my phone number. And I said, you know what, why are you doing that? All I want to do is purchase $45 worth of stuff here. You're already getting my credit <laughs> card number. Like, why is all of this other stuff? Yeah, and they said, Oh, putting. no, no. Yeah, it is putting. a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's really great because they explained to me um, part of what they ended up doing actually was they were collecting the data because they wanted to start a loyalty program and they wanted to start to understand what kinds of things I was interested in so they could become more relevant to me. And at first I thought, oh great, another loyalty program. <laughs> but when they actually stood there and explained to me in what way they were thinking about a loyalty program and what way they thought they could actually be helpful to me, I immediately thought like, oh my gosh, they're amazing. Because what they started to do wasn't just to track the things that I wanted to buy. They were tracking what kinds of gifts I was giving and they offered up reminders for next year, for Father's Day, for Mother's Day, you know, for the holidays, where they could actually do my shopping for me, have gifts ready and wrapped and ready to go by the time that I was off of work. And so wow. they were saving me hours of time every year where I don't really have to think much about what I'm gifting somebody. They give me the choices, they take care of it, I swing by and grab it, my credit card is on file, and they are saving me time. And time is something that I have limited amounts of. And so all of a sudden, it's not just about a loyalty program. It's about a really great give back of time. And it justifies holding my information. And that's where the trust comes in. You are giving me something that's so valuable that I'm willing to trust you with my data and my personal information. And that's really the dynamic that businesses need to create. Um, and then the last thing I mentioned is accessibility. And I can't tell you how many small businesses are getting either threatening letters of a lawsuit or mm -hmm. actually getting outright sued. And I need businesses out there, regardless of, you know, if you're a business of one in the gig economy, if there's, you know, a business of 10 or 30 or 50, I need for you to understand that Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA, applies to websites and you can be sued and you likely will either get sued or get a letter threatening a lawsuit. And so you don't have to be 100% compliant. Nobody ever is 100% compliant, but you need to worry about A, you know, what am I doing to make my online digital portal, my sales piece, my newsletters, my Instagram, what are you doing to make that accessible to people who have visual 
hearing handicaps or who have mobility issues. Because here's the interesting thing, you know, the threat there, the risk, because I always talk about risk and opportunities. The risk here is that you're going to get sued and I don't want anybody to get sued. And usually the people who are doing the suing are doing it as a last resort. They're not doing it because they're gonna make money or anything else. They're doing it really to open up new doors to those that have handicaps um, and disabilities. So that's one side of it and that's the risk. But here's the thing, stop and think about how many individuals not just have hearing or visual impairments in the United States or around the globe, but how many folks in that 55 to 75 age group have fine motor skill issues and yet they have money and they have a way to tell their friends about your business if they can use their if they can use your online portal to order a product or to get a service and so just as much as you know having let's say a website that's not accessible is a liability it's also an opportunity it's an opportunity to service somebody who then is going to be talking about your business favorably to somebody else and they're going to continue to shop with you so it really is an opportunity and probably more so an opportunity than it is a risk but I really don't see small businesses paying attention to accessibility. They don't understand that it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. It's a journey for a small business, just like it is for a big business. What you need to do is you need to start out with a policy statement that tells the world what you're doing around accessibility. And then little by little, you need to make grounds towards accessibility. And I'm a big believer in setting up a programmatic approach where businesses can do this over time. So it doesn't have to cost you $10,000 today. Maybe it'll cost you two hours a month. And then from there, you can kind of work forward and get to an accessible uh, place in the world. Um, but make sure that you keep that at the top of your list because again, security, privacy, accessibility are the biggest time sucks today for small businesses and the biggest areas of risk. I want to kind of touch on the accessibility point. Um, this is actually something I'm working on for my business. I was fortunate enough to partner with the University of Maryland and um, working with uh, one of their graduate schools, and they're going to do a accessibility audit of our web application and help us, uh, whatever they find, help us uh, make those fixes. So that's awesome. That's there's there's solutions you can employ to maybe drive that cost down, but it's just like any investment because if we look at it as a cost, we just see it as another burden. It's really an investment in opportunity. How much bigger could your net of customers be by doing this? And if you look mm -hmm. at like this, just like you do marketing, if I put in money to have Google ads or whatever, there's no guarantee customers are going to come. But if I do certain things, there's historical data that shows that the likelihood of me getting X outcome if I do these certain things is high, then you can look at it, hey, I'm investing so I can serve another market versus, okay, hey, I need to um, do this because I need to check this box. And then now come up with a strategy as you incorporate these accessibility tools into your business to bring awareness, like you said, but also how can you start to begin to market directly to that customer base because you have something, you're making an effort to serve them in a way that most people are. And so I think it's really important to think of it from that lens versus this compliance box. As far Absolutely. as- Absolutely, yeah, spot on. And, and as far as like uh, privacy, we mm -hmm. need to think now, 
now more than ever, people are laser focused on their data and how it's being used. And your example about you should start with the why internally, mm-hmm. like if they would have told you their why up front, you wouldn't ask the question you would have known. Right. And then once mm-hmm. you and once they gave you the why, you were really excited to provide information. And so we always need to think about the customer's why. Why if am I asking them for personal information? Why am I asking it? And have I articulated that digitally as well as my my employees and staff? So it's not just, okay, I'm, I just want your information so I can slam you with text messages or whatever, but the value that they can get. Because people do want more personalized experiences. And so if you mm-hmm. can link that to an aspiration, the customer's aspiration, I think you're going to have a better chance of not only capturing information, but also word of mouth spread. Hey, if you give them their your email address, they'll do all this for you, right? Exactly. So, so I think we need, it's just as all businesses, we need to do a better job of what's in our head to put down documents so people can find it and learn about us and tell your brand story as to, hey, I'm doing this for this reason because I believe in X. And if you don't do that, then people just see you as just a, another part of the chain of I'm giving away my data for free. Right. So. And, you know, and this is actually a really, really great topic, Marvin. And I was mm-hmm. thinking about this as you were talking, because um, I actually have a lady from who I buy eggs at the farmer's market on Saturdays. And I didn't know this, but she's not allowed to bring and sell her chicken meat at the farmer's market because of some crazy farmer market competition rule. But what she's done is she set up her online website where you can go and order chicken meat, choose whatever you want, and she'll actually bring it to the market and she can give it to you there. So she can't outright sell it, but she can bring whatever's ordered to the market. And she sent me an email and explained what was happening and said, hey, if you'd like to you know, also get chicken from me, here's how you can do that. And I thought, here's a brilliant example of taking my email address the last time I bought eggs from her and approaching me in a very one-to-one way, using my address for something she knows I'm interested in. And what's really great is if you think about it from her perspective, you know, she doesn't want to sell 30,000 chickens. She doesn't have them. She's not going to compete with the local store. She's looking to compete with others at the market and distinguish herself in a way with her users or her customers that makes sense. And so she approached me, explained again why her products are better than other people's, what she's doing, how the chickens are humanely raised, what I can expect. And she's also given me an option to get a little ping every Thursday night to put in whatever I want to get at the market on Saturday so she makes sure she brings it. And so it's a really great service to me. doesn't take up any additional effort. And it's actually a gentle reminder that keeps me buying from her. And it's a really great example, I think, of how little a small business has to do to continually make that sale. And yet for her, that sale with probably three or four other sales is really key and critical to surviving. But she's also getting from me word of mouth marketing because guess what? It's really easy to take that email and forward it to several different people in my network. It's easy to take her Facebook post and share it with my Facebook community. And so it's a really great example of meeting your customers where they are, asking for their data in a way that makes sense, showing that their data is secure and it's trusted, and really making buying accessible to everybody. And that's why I keep harping on those three points. I think they really are the critical aspects for doing business today 
they're going to be even more important in the next 12 to 18 months. And they're going to be the way that we have to operate 24 months out. Like you will have to have these three things nailed if you want to survive. So for businesses that are far behind, I'm, you know, WordPress is great. I don't use WordPress for the reason you mentioned. I, I've had one in, with another business. You know, I use things like Squarespace, Wix or something. So there's a, a lot of different ways you can try to mitigate the, the risk factor. You need to not just think about what a vendor's telling you, but all the consequences of that purchase because everybody has an agenda. Like if I'm a WordPress developer, I'm going to tell you to use WordPress, <laughs> right? But think about yes. all the domino effects of whatever solution you picked as it relates to how it impacts your other business and your compliance and mm -hmm. especially digital tools, right? How, like data breaches or anything like that, or their security policies. Those are like, I have this little Excel spreadsheet I created for, for a custom my beta testing because they're looking at new POS systems. And I said, mm -hmm. do you have, what's your criteria for choosing? And they just give me a glazed look. You should have criteria <laughs> one of them should be the, the digital policy and it should mm -hmm. be the security and all those components, accessibility, privacy. You should put that on the list because not only the mechanics of the software, but this give, is risk exposure for you because you are linked to that business because you commerce using it. So I, I just think people need to have criteria around these, these pillars that you mentioned as they mm -hmm decide who to do business with so when they interact with their customers they can feel safe that they may you know they they're giving them the holistic uh, thing around the framework you mentioned so um that's absolutely my little rant no I, I, no 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 that's great that's awesome i you know i'm with you on that rant i'm gonna get up on the soapbox and, and, and preach as well because yeah. you know i i can't emphasize this enough and i think what's interesting is that most small businesses that I speak with or folks that I work with, um, what I find is they're good at what they do, but accessibility is like the furthest thing from their mind because they don't even know that it's a thing. And so they say to me like, Christina, I don't even know accessibility. Am I supposed to go and get trained up now in accessibility? And I always say no, because here's the thing, as a business owner, you need to, like you said, have some sense of what are the three questions I should ask a vendor around certain things. And I always say like, hey, for whoever's doing your website, ask them, say, is my website accessible? And when they look at you in that blank stare, you know that they're probably not accessible. You can ask them to demonstrate whether the website that they're building for you is accessible. Or my favorite thing to tell clients is don't even ask, just go to the website that they built for you, open up the, the, um, the site itself, turn off your monitor, and, or you didn't even have to turn off your monitor. You can use it with a monitor, but use your keyboard and put your cursor in the URL field and then try to tab throughout the page. If you just click the tab button on your keyboard, if you can get from the URL box to every link on the page, your website is accessible. So think of for a moment, just at how simple of a test that is. Just like, you know, take a moment, put your cursor in the URL field and then use tab and tab around. If you can't get outside of that URL field, that is not an accessible website. If you can't get to all of the other links on the page, it's not accessible. And so that's something that we can do that's a really cheap, it's actually free, test for accessibility. Um, there's two or three questions that I always have around security and privacy that I tell folks to um, ask their vendors about as well. 
Because as you said, having a criteria and putting people on the spot so that you understand they're doing the right thing, you know, for you is critical. At the end of the day, you know, only 40% of small businesses are profitable. You want to make sure that you're not just profitable. You want to make sure that you're going to be thriving and getting to as much of a profit space as you can. And you're not going to do that without those three key ingredients. Oh, for sure. And there's, there's some free and low cost tools that can do a scan for you in seconds or less than a minute. Google has some, um, there's Chrome extension. So you can even use some of those if you um, want. I can put some of them in the show notes. I'm sure you know some others, but um, not to promote, I'm not getting any commission or anything. So <laughs> just want to make that clear. But uh, I think it's important to start that journey because mm -hmm. we need to widen our tribe. You know, Seth Godin always talks about idea spread, and he also talks about tribes. So if you look at this from a digital policy standpoint and wrap it into your business model, they go together because digital trust will be linked to your policies, right? Mm -hmm. You know, security, pop, privacy, and accessibility are those, those kind of foundational things. And it may, people make assumptions about these things. But once you prove that you don't do them, you've lost them as a customer. And so we like, I don't, you might, when you go online, you assume they have good security. You assume if you're accessibility, you assume the that they're protecting your information until something happens. Mm -hmm. And so, so we need to think of it from that lens. It's an, it's that it goes back to that customer uh, compliance. They, they have certain expectations of you. And when you don't meet them, you've lost them. And then they're going to tell all their friends and you oh, lost absolutely. all the customers of the customers. Right. So I think it's, it's not a compliant sunk cost. So if you were to kind of think through a step-by-step -step guide or some, some things that need, like, where do people need to be at what stage of their business life? Like I'm a startup. I'm a growth phase business. I'm, I'm accelerate. I'm scaling. So if you mm -hmm. kind of look at it from different points of their, their business journey, what do they need to do when they're just getting going like zero to two versus, you know, they're, they're growing or they're just trying to hold on to create new opportunity. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, oftentimes people in the industry conflate a startup with a small mm -hmm. business and mm -hmm. they couldn't be more different. Right. Um, and so I always look at the small business, you know, differently than the startup. The startups themselves, I always ask, you know, what is it that you're trying to do? If you're a startup and you're really trying to just get to an MVP, a minimum a viable product, um, and you're trying to just kind of put something out there into the marketplace, you might be running so fast that the really big things might be things that you don't want to recreate in the future. Things like data collection from individuals. You want to make sure that from day one, the data that you're collecting is done in a way that is compliant with legal and regulatory requirements. And that also sets a clear expectation with end users. Um, so that's one of the things I always kind of go to is, you know, have you done a good job in terms of privacy? Obviously, security is an issue there. But unlike um, any other business with startups, we're also thinking about protecting your um, intellectual property, right? Whether it's an award-winning marketing campaign or the formula for a groundbreaking medical treatment, you have to protect your intellectual property online as diligently as you do with tangible capital investments. And some companies have invested millions in software programs only to find out that you know, pirated copies are being sold overseas. 
So really from a startup perspective, really think about what are your assets and how are you going to protect that? The other thing that's really, really critical, I think from a startup perspective is to be clear about your intentions. If you're looking to get to a minimum, vi minimum viable product, um, and then you're looking to kind of establish yourself in the marketplace, the set of policies you're going to have might be smaller in number than if you're going to get to an MVP and look for investment capital. And the reason I say that is because you're going to go through any kind of evaluation to get either you know, investment capital or get a loan or even get acquired. And if that's your goal, right, is to do some kind of an MVP and then do a quick exit, you want to make sure that you've protected your business in such a way that you're going to get the top dollar when you go to sell. And so that means being able to show to them that from a digital perspective, you're not at the risk of any lawsuits, you've protected your data, you're accessible, you're compliant with legal and regulatory terms, because a bigger business or venture capitalists are always looking at what is the opportunity of your startup versus what kind of a risk are they taking on? Are they going to get called out because somebody else has the same intellectual property that you do, right? So I want to make sure that you're thinking intellectual property, accessibility, privacy, security. And I also want you to be thinking about things like copyrights, uh, trademarks that employees are following, and what kind of agreement you have internally with employees. Do they own the intellectual property or the copyright of the business that um, you're setting up? Or is that something the business holds? So you need to be very uh, particular about that. Small business is slightly different, obviously, because small business is usually established, even though small. The goal here is to continue operating either as a small business or to ultimately get acquired. But the, you know, the action steps that you're going to have for small business are slightly different. You're definitely still thinking about things like taking privacy seriously. And if you're in the pandemic era that we are today, you're probably looking at trying to get more business globally or at least you know, in, in a wider uh, geographical location than you've been operating historically. And so for example, if you're a business that's operating in Maryland, and I say that Marvin, because you're I think in Maryland today, yes, but if you, were operating, <laughs> if you were operating in Maryland all this time, you know, and here we are in the pandemic, and yet there's an opportunity for e-commerce, you know, let's start looking at maybe providing your service or your product to all of the United States. Let's not limit you just to Maryland. But as you do that, you know, are you complying with the data privacy requirements in Nevada? You know, people, well, there's CCPA. Well, CCPA doesn't apply to small businesses. That's the California Data Regulation Act. Like that one doesn't apply to small business, but other states do have requirements that extend to small businesses. And so I wanna make sure that you're covered again from that privacy, from that security perspective, uh, definitely from your accessibility perspective. But I also want small businesses, and I hope every small business that's listening out there takes this key policy to heart, which is keep your digital channels up to date, okay? The internet can change in the blink of the eye. Your customers can abandon one channel for another. Things that were considered trend-worthy one day can be deemed offensive overnight. And then there's the digital channels themselves, right? And so I wanna make sure that whether it's your customer preference for channels, um, you're always staying up and in this place customers want to be met. And I want to make sure that as you're thinking about digital channels and the terms of services that go along with those channels, whether it's Instagram um, or it's Twitter or it's Facebook, whatever you're using, make sure that as a small business, 
those changes in terms of service are done in response to new legislation and that you're compliant with them. You know, one of the products or services you use might send out an important patch that winds up being at the bottom of everyone's to-do list representing like a much bigger threat than most people realize. Um, and so I want them to be aware of that. And, you know, think about even like as a small business, think about the Equifax uh, breach, right? They knew that there was a vulnerability and they knew that they had to patch, you know, to avoid any kind of security issue. They just didn't apply it. And we just mentioned WordPress not to dog on that platform, um, but they very frequently ask people to patch. Um, so I want people to understand that keeping your digital channels up to date means not just making sure that you're patching for security, that you're looking at the privacy terms from all of your channels, that you're making things accessible, but also make sure that you're staying in lockstep with your customers and your prospects, meeting them where they are and where they want to be. Because a lot of times what I see, and I just cringe, I see a Facebook page for a local business that has 11 followers and it was abandoned two years ago. Or I see an Instagram account that's not active and it reflects really poorly on the business. If you can't keep up the channel, close it down. And that's the thing that small businesses really need to be thinking about is when you're investing that one hour of time, are you doing it in the best place, a place where you're going to get the biggest bang for the buck and the best return on your investment? And if the answer is no, I'm going to abandon that channel, then please close it down. So how would you recommend they audit that um, process? Um, I had a previous guest who was a marketing growth expert, and he said, you know, he recommends small businesses just double down on one or two channels at a time because, you know, just the volume of being able to manage that becomes overwhelming. And that's why you get where there's no activity, right? So um, what are your like steps to audit that? I'm on five channels and um, I should, whether I should close this down or not, what, what's the criteria you might recommend? Well, first of all, I always tell people go to where your users are and that might involve a little bit of trial and error, right? You might think that your customers are on Twitter and it turns out nobody cares. And then you try Instagram and you're like, wow, this is a hopping engagement platform for me. So don't be afraid, first of all, to test and to see where your prospects are and what's resonating with prospects and customers. What I tend to do is if I try a new thing, and I always encourage small businesses to try things out, don't be afraid to do that. First of all, adopt a new thing one at a time. Don't go for all five channels at once. You know, if you're going to do a newsletter, for example, try standing up your newsletter, your email newsletter, and get that going for a few months. See what the open rate is. See if you're engaging with people. Um, give it some time. Once you get that up and running and you almost are in a pattern and it feels comfortable, then maybe try adding a new channel. Try going to Instagram and keep that up for three to four or five months. See if you're starting to see a difference. I say, whenever you start up a channel, Put a little reminder on your calendar, right? If it's like a website, I tend to say, put a reminder on the first of every month to check, are there any kind of new plugins or patches that need to be applied so that there's a security? Make sure that you check your privacy statements. Are they up to date? Has anything changed um, in the last month? And if not, let's keep trucking. Um, also at the same time, if you open up a new channel, you know, set a calendar reminder for yourself three months out that says, I'm going to try this for a quarter and see, am I getting any kind of input or not? And if the answer is not, I'm going to get a ping from a calendar in three months that says, consider e either doing something different 
or consider closing down the channel. But to me, it's all about having a calendar and driving things through a calendar so that you're giving things enough time to see whether they're working. And if they're not, that you're actively staying on top of those channels and closing them down when you see that they're not either working the way you want them to work or they're not giving you enough of an investment um, return. And, you know, in between that time where you're getting pinged by your calendar, um, you know, to, to review the channel and possibly shut it down, you should also be getting pings that say, am I doing a good job publishing to those channels? Because for example, Instagram is not going to engage with people. If you're not Instagram on Instagram regularly, if you're not continually sharing, um, engaging in conversations and genuine conversations at that, right? It can't just be about me, me, me and marketing. It needs to be about what message are you sending to prospects and customers? What value are you adding? And are you doing that consistently enough to get a return on that investment and to get people engaged? And if the answer is not, then shut it down. But I'm amazed because, you know, I, I see all the time that people just, you know, organizations just have such a myriad of software products that it's almost impossible to keep up whether that's social media or, you know, it's their own platform. Um, but I always say, make it somebody's job to regularly think about this and literally pin it to their performance review. And if they're not doing it, and that includes me as a business of one, if I'm not doing myself a, a service by, you know, looking at my channels regularly, I always dock myself, <laughs> which sounds horrible. You know, I have like a little bonus I put out for myself at the end of each month and I say, if I do a good job, I'm going to give myself a pat on the back and this little bonus I'm going to give myself because it's a mental thing, right? And if I don't meet it, I don't get that little bonus. And the criteria is around how the business is doing from a channel upkeep perspective, how well are we doing from an engagement perspective, and how well are we doing from a delivery perspective. And so I like metrics. I see how we perform. And I do a little celebration at the end of each month if we do well. And that's a fun way, I think, a gaming gamification kind of way um, to really stay on top of everything all month long, all quarter long, and make sure that you're doing the right things. And like I said, balancing out those risks and opportunities. I think it's important to measure everything, especially when it comes to social media marketing, because it's actually a science project as much as an enga engagement, right? So. Well, and this kind of dives into my next question, so I'll just touch on it a bit. If you don't measure it, you can't make those decision points effectively, and you can't figure out how to pivot and learn because a lot of things are around learning, you know. So, and and your digital policies may have to evolve as you grow and scale. So, if you're not looking at those things, how can you figure out what you need to add, modify, or whatever, right? Um, like if you take your three Absolutely. pillars, if you take your three pillars again. Like the first thing is security, right? So, right, you got to get that right. Because if you don't get that, then, you know, obviously the privacy is compromised and you never get to the accessibility, right? So it's prioritization too, right? So I think it's important. So if you were to kind of give small businesses a, like the opportunities you see around digital policy in the future that from your current clients that you don't see them doing that they should be doing, uh, what would those be? Um, you know, the biggest thing that I see is small businesses tend to think that policies are burdensome. And I think it's because what they think about are large businesses that are writing these long documents that are cumbersome for any small business to have. 
And I really want small businesses to understand that, A, you're not a big business, so don't try to meet the same criteria that they have for compliance. Your policies can be less formal than that of a multinational. In fact, yours should not be the same likely as a multinational company's. And so I think the key here is to understand where you are in the business life cycle to establish a set of policies. And like you said, to continually come back and revisit those policies based on what are triggers, triggers for updates. So if you're a small business, I actually have um, an entire section of my website that's free. I don't even ask for, um, I don't even want your email address. It's just available to anybody who wants to grab it and use it. It talks about which policies you ought to have if you're in the starter business arena. And that's for organizations with few formal policies or none, because you know they don't qualify digital risks with opportunities. Um, so if that's you, head over to the website and you'll see the tips that I give you around things like accessibility, some cookies and tracking, copyrights and protections, um, data breach, uh, security, emergency response and business continuity, the basics that you need to put in place. I have also information there for an immediate business um, and expert businesses as far as policies go. But I also give insights around what triggers you should be thinking about for updating those policies. So for example, a lot of small businesses should already have had policies in place you know, at the beginning of this year, this calendar year 2020. But then if you're a small business, once we entered the pandemic, it would have been a great time to revisit your security and your privacy policy because there's been a lot of threats around uh, COVID-19, a lot of data breaches. And so revisiting your security practices is such an important thing. And so whenever you have a pandemic or a natural disaster or a shift in technology, um, or perhaps you learn something like a competitor is doing something differently, those are all good triggers to go back and update your digital policies. Digital policies are not a once and done, unfortunately. These are really enablers for the business. And so you need to make sure that they're up to date. And that means having, having it be somebody's job to make sure that you're staying abreast of those trends, abreast of those triggers, and you're updating the policies. Now, the policies themselves don't have to be cumbersome. And this doesn't have to be a three-day job every month. Um, in fact, I would argue if you were a small business, you know, unless you're in medical devices or something highly regulated, you're probably expending too much time on policies if that's how much time you're investing. This should be a situation where if you're a small business, let's say, I don't know, you have like 10 employees, maybe you just discuss these policies, you know, once a month around the lunch table, or, you know, you have your regular quarterly meeting, um, corporate meeting or business meeting. That's when you bring up policies as well. So enable policies inside of your organization, just like you do everything else. Because on a regular basis, I bet that every small business is looking at their health from a fiscal perspective. You're looking at how much is coming in, how much is going out. The same thing needs to happen with policies. You need to understand how you're doing those things today and how you should be doing them tomorrow. And if you're not, then you're really taking on additional risks that you don't need to be taking on probably. And you're not grasping opportunities that are already there for the taking, either because they're presented in the marketplace or they might just be appearing because your competitor is not doing them and you have the opportunity to do so and take advantage of them. But that's probably the biggest stuff that I notice um, in small businesses, either overestimating what they should be doing or not paying attention.
So where do you see risk for them that you, that you hope they can clean up this year? So. Um, so yeah, you know, I would basically ask at this point, you know, if you don't have, you know, basic kind of digital policies in place, I would say that you're probably taking on water or about mm -hmm. to be. Uh, 65% okay. of small businesses are going to have a security event uh, sooner rather than later. Some security events take a while to um, underscore. And the longer it takes to discover a security event, like a breach, the greater the chances that the small business is going to go under. So I would say, don't do that. <laughs> Instead, literally, you know, like I said, head over to my website. I give you so much free stuff. Like, I mean, I don't even, you know, I am literally saying, go out there, copy stuff off of my website, use it, plagiarize it, you know, don't stand up, obviously, a competing policy, digital policy website. Um, but <laughs> feel free to avail yourself of these, these starter statements, right? I provide, for example, you know, if you're a small business and if you're uh, doing email marketing, do you understand the spam policy? And, and, and do you have one? And if the answer is no, go to my website. I'm going to explain to you why you need to have an email marketing and spam policy. And I'm going to tell you the key points to consider for a marketing and spam policy, okay? So like there's no excuse for not doing it because somebody's spoon feeding you the information, okay? So make yes. sure, like I said, you know, you've done the three things we've been talking about all hour, the, the you know, security, the privacy, the accessibility, but get that email marketing and spam policy in place. Because we're this year in a pandemic and we've all had to kind of work from home uh, or we've had to keep our business going, I want every business out there um, especially small business, to have an emergency response and business continuity policy. Again, free resources on my website. Take you know advantage of it. Um, things like data breach response. You know, yes, you should have a security policy, but what are you going to do if there is a breach? And small businesses barely survive if they do survive a data breach. I want you to have a policy around that. So altogether, Marvin, we're not talking about a ton. I would say that this year, what I would hope that businesses really take away is, yes, I have an accessibility policy, cookies and tracking policy, copyright and protection policy, data breach response policy, a data privacy policy, email marketing and spam policy, emergency response policy, and online piracy. Accessibility should always be there, but those are the kind of basic hygiene points that your business needs to have, and if you don't have them, get them done now. This is the year. So for the people, can you can you give them a, your website just to make sure? And I'll put it in the show notes as well. Absolutely. If mm -hmm. you go to thepowerofdigitalpolicy.com, so it's the, T-H-E, powerofdigitalpolicy.com. I have a huge library there um, under the Which Digital Policies and it'll talk to um, organizations around like, where are you in terms of maturity? Um, I've broken out specific policies that you need based on your industry. You know, you might be a small business that's catering to manufacturing, or you might be catering to nonprofits, or you might be a nonprofit. Um, or maybe you're looking to get government contracts. All of those policies are broken out by industry. And if you're kind of a small to medium-sized business where you're starting to have business departments like you might have a finance department or you might have hr and it um, maybe you have a digital marketing person i've actually broken out policies by individuals on your team that they need to be thinking about and so 
tons of resources out there. No reason not to have this in place. And if there are certain things that you're worried about or certain things you're doing, let's say you're a business that is um, either catering to prospects in the European Union or you have customers in the EU, there are policies like GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation that you need to comply with. Um, you can also go to my website. I have links to SCORE, where I've provided guidance on small business compliance with GDPR. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other resources on my site that are specifically for small businesses. And so I highly encourage people to just, you know, go out there, bookmark them, use them. Um, you know, I'm not afraid to share the information. Uh, and of course, people can always reach out to me with additional questions. Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, easy to find, or they can email me at me, M-E, at kpodnar.com. Okay, great. So, well, this has been more than wonderful. I think um, I think this is really going to help a lot of people, for one, and re help them rethink the future, right? So all of us should be thinking about the future of our businesses, whether you're small, scale, or even a large enterprise. Our purpose is linked to that, and you can't demonstrate purpose more than not, than not showing people you can trust them digitally and using policies to help enable that, well, it can, it can only help you. And if, if we can just start with one thing, your, the data you own is your currency. It's the most valuable asset you have and having policies to protect it will build trust with customers. And so thank you. If you have any closing thoughts, we'd love to hear them. And also, if there's any other channels you, you want people to try to connect with you, please uh, let us know. Thanks so much, Marvin. This is like, I think, really timely. Um, <laughs> and I hope that your listeners get benefit out of this. But like I said, you know, I think this is the moment to make things happen. And um, it would be great to hear from people. Okay, great. Well, like I said, we're going to spread the word. And we enjoyed having you in the show. And thank you for your time. <laughs>